following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Hi, everybody. I'm going to hold. We're going to be reading from John 17, verses 20 through 23. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So most of you probably know by now, if you've spent any time here and listened to me talk at all, you know that um, I was a church kid. I was a church kid through and through. From day one, uh, I was in church. Anybody uh, a fellow church kid? Yeah. Right. So we're part of like a little club, right? And um, you've listened to me uh, over the weeks or years that you've been here sort of publicly unwinding some of that. And um, it's interesting, you know, uh, I was talking with someone this morning talking about how I really have a lot of love and affection for the people in my church history who gave me what they could give me. And yet at the same time, I don't think I could live in that particular specific church world today for various reasons. And I know that some of you are in that same boat. Um, so, fellow church kids, I'm going to ask you uh, with uh, a, sh- a show of hands, an 11 a.m. service show of hands, which is a little higher than the 9 a.m. service <laughs> show of hands, um, how many of you, uh, how many of these, these phrases and, and verses do you remember from your church history? <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. All right, if you put your hand up now, that that indicates that you expect to remember all of them. How many of you made or were encouraged to make a personal decision for Jesus? Thank you, I see that hand. (laughs) How many of you asked or were encouraged to ask Jesus into your heart? Mm -hmm. How many were told and believed that God had a plan for your life? Right? Sometimes that was even attached to a Bible verse, right? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you. Right? We, all wanted, we all wanted to take that on ourselves without reading the rest of that book, which is incredibly violent and painful. <laughs> right? How many of you, maybe at a summer camp or a church youth retreat, found yourself doing business with the Holy Spirit? That's a little weird, but yes, I see that hand too. Right? That's the thing that you did with every head bowed and every eye closed, right? Because it was a very private business that you were conducting with the Holy Spirit. It's being you and Jesus, right? All of that stuff is still ringing in our heads, in our hearts, if we grew up in that type of church environment. And then we come to a text like John 17, where Jesus is about to conclude his earthly ministry, and he's praying to the Father for his disciples, which he names, as you noticed, as not just the people in the room with him in that moment, but all of the people who would come to believe by virtue of those people's testimony, which I think we ought to include ourselves in that group, his prayer for them says, I ask that they may all be one, that they might be completely one, 
the idea that each one individual, the people who are in that room with Jesus and all of the Christians who've come to believe in the intervening 2,000 years, that they would all be one. There's something inherent in the idea of being a disciple of Jesus, whether physically present with him in that moment or a spiritual disciple all these centuries later. There's something about it that calls us to transcend ourselves, to get out of our individualized understanding of the world and to become one with other people. Today, we are starting a new teaching series here at Artisan. It's called Foundations because it's based on five foundational values. Awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. Some of you have heard those five words said in that order hundreds of times. Awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. And as I said last week, if you put those words together with no capital letters and put a space in between them, you would have access to our Wi-Fi network. Use it responsibly. These five values, awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice, have shaped our life together for our entire existence since we were founded in January of 2005. Every time we've faced a difficult decision as a church, we have turned to these foundational values and asked ourselves the question, which of these possible options is the better expression of awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice? And or, where do we see more of awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice already in one of those courses of action? That's how we've made difficult decisions here at Artisan. These five values, awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice, thank you, have been our foundation and continue to support um, the, the structure that is Artisan Church, not the literal physical structure, but the, all of the things that have been built up as this community has grown have been based on those five values. And as we kick off this series, we're not doing it in Wi-Fi password order. Uh, which is to say we're not starting with awe. We're going to start with community. And I'd like to show you on the screen the statement of community value. And I, I'm, I'm sorry, but not sorry to have you do this. I'm going to ask you to read this statement out loud together as a community. Ready? We are a covenantal family of authentic relationships and reconciliation in the image of God who exists in perfect communion as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yet one God. By the way, that QR code, if you wanted to hit it with your camera, would take you to uh, a PDF on our website that has a study packet uh, about the value of community. This was something that was put together by the artisan community without my involvement while I was on sabbatical in 2019. And I do have some printed copies here with me for those who like to take printed copies home. Just come and ask me after the service. I'll give you, there's a few here. I'll give you one. Um, but if you want it digitally, you can go to artisanchurch.com slash about. You'll see our values listed there. What are they again? Awe, beauty, roots, community, and justice. And under each one is a link to a PDF that has our value kit for that value. Or you can hit that QR code. It'll take you directly to the one for community right now. Now, here's the thing about community, and it's true of all of our values. I could go a million different directions to preach a sermon about the foundational value of community. Just from this language of this statement alone, I could give you a few different sermons. We could talk about what it means to be in covenant. That's not a word that we use very often. 
um, in day-to-day -day speech. We use it much more in the history of artisan than I've ever used it anywhere else. And I played a lot of Halo growing up. <laughs> Actually, I was fully an adult by the time Halo was released. <laughs> right? We could talk about what reconciliation means and how to do it. We could talk about the theology of the Trinity. Do you see how the identity of God as understood by classic Christian doctrine as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yet one God, derives to us as human beings made in God's image because we also exist in community just as God exists in triune community. I could talk about our history as a church. Um, it's, it's fitting to start with the value of community because the value of community is really how we started to live together as a church people. Community was the value that came easiest to us the earliest. So I could talk to you about living in intentional community, what that meant to have, literally have some shared possessions, not quite to the Acts chapter 2 level uh, of full-on socialism. Um, but, you know, we had one lawnmower for a few different houses, right? And some of us lived in the same building as each other, and we spent all kinds of time together intentionally because we believed that being in community was uh, an expression of the divine nature in us, and we found that that actually proved to be true. So it, it's the one that kind of launched us and gave us our earliest sense of identity, so it fits that we start with it, even though it's out of Wi-Fi password order. But honestly, the thing is with these values, I could, don't test me, because I could do it. I could preach a five-week series on each one of these values. There's so many different ways. We've, we've found that they have been so rich and deep and meaningful to us that I could really talk about lot, uh, each one of them at great length. And, and the truth is we've done many sermon series on um, the foundational values of artisans since we started. And I don't say we like the royal we. I mean like we, because there are other pastors on staff, there's been other preachers who have preached these ideas. And kind of the whole point of having foundational values is that we have been trying to live them out for almost 20 years now, and at different times, in different places, with different people, they have meant different types of things. So what I'm going to do today, I'm not going to preach five weeks on community. That would be even more boring for me than it would be for you, trust me. What I'm going to do today is tell you about the thing that's, that's most standing out to me in this time and place with this group of people about the value of community. And for me right now, the thing that's standing out most in my own life and in our life as a church about the value of community is the need to get beyond ourselves in order to understand not just like what it means to be in a particular specific church that has a specific kind of character set, but actually to understand the truth of Christian belief in practice. I firmly believe that one of the bits of work that we need to do as a people, if we're to truly understand what it even means to be Christian right now, is to get beyond ourselves, to transcend the individual, to be less self-centered. Now, don't confuse self-centeredness with selfishness. We use those two words interchangeably a lot, but I, I don't mean it that way. I don't mean that you're selfish or that I'm selfish, although certainly sometimes I am and surely sometimes some of you are. What I mean is that we have this tendency to be self-centered. In other words, to think that the entire universe revolves around us. 
that every other person in the world is a cast member in the movie based on our life. Which is a fairly normal thing to believe. In fact, I think it might be one of the ways that we, we kind of keep our minds together. Because if we truly stop for a minute to look at those, those um, James Webb telescope images and think about how vast the universe is and how tiny we are, we might, we might lose our minds. This idea of not being self-centered, of understanding the Christian faith in a way that gets beyond my individual understanding of it or practice of it, is something that I have had to learn and relearn and relearn, and I expect I'm probably going to be relearning it until the day that I die. And that partly has to do with human nature, like I was saying, but I think it also has to do with the way that salvation was talked about in most of the church settings that I ran in for the first half of my life. In other words, when you start out being a Christian by making a personal decision for Jesus, when your first act of faith is to invite Jesus into your heart as if he could be contained there, you are probably already set on a course of thinking that Christian faith is all about you and your direct line to God and nobody else matters. It's business that you are doing. They aren't even allowed to look at it. Do you see what happens? All right. Fellow church kids, I'm going to ask you one more verse. Tell me if you recognize this verse. And, and um, I'm going to put on my counselor hat for a second and ask you to notice the feeling that you get in your emotions and in your body when I read this verse out loud. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? <laughs> now, I don't think Paul's original audience laughed when they heard that verse. <laughs> All right, okay. Let me ask you this. You can shout out an answer. How was this taught to you? What were you told that this was about? You can answer with one word, probably. You can say purity. Someone said sex. Yes, thank you. Don't smoke or do drugs. All right, thank you, Deanna, because uh, there was one in the, in the first service as well. That's the one that I got more often than not in my church, which was very much in what's called the holiness stream, um, which was all about personal behavior and very, very, very preoccupied with substances. You do not do drugs. No, 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 never, never. You do not drink alcohol, ever. You certainly don't smoke cigarettes or chew tobacco or go with girls who do or something like that, right? <laughs> there you go. You have to say it in the right order to get it to rhyme. Uh, I, I'm a songwriter. I should know this. But what else? Is there anything else that we've missed? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, so do not what? Oh, the music you listen to, what does that have to do with your body? They didn't tell you, did they? <laughs> what you eat, yes. Oh, a lot of body shaming comes out of this one too, isn't it? Dress code. Tattoos, that's right. Definitely, I wear long sleeve shirts when I go back to my home church. Right? Social dancing, yes. <laughs> Yes, yes. The joke is, do you know why Nazarenes don't have sex before marriage? Because it might lead to dancing. <laughs> right? okay. 
That joke was not in my notes and probably for good reason. <laughs> so did they ever preach to you about the pronouns in this verse? Did your youth pastor ever talk about pronouns in this verse? Right now I'm not talking pronouns have become very important to us for lots of important reasons recently. Um, and it does sort of connect, but it's not the direct thing that I'm talking about right now. There's a, a, an interesting thing about this verse that is not captured well in English, in the English language. And that is that in the verse, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? The you in that verse is plural. So unless you're from the South and you say y'all, or you're from Pittsburgh and you say yins, or you're from Buffalo, like my in-laws, and you say yous, we don't really have a way to convey plural with the you pronoun, the second person pronoun. But Greek, like almost every other language I've ever studied, does. There's a separate word for the you singular and the you plural. And in this verse, it's the you plural. Do you all not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Does that possibly give this verse a little different angle we might take on it? Wow. By the way, 63% of the you pronouns in the New Testament are plural. How dare we reduce this religious faith and practice down to me and Jesus. It is never, ever just about you and Jesus. Another example, you are the body of Christ, which is a concept we, most of us have heard before. That's also plural which is to say that each one of you, yes, is a part of the body of Christ, but you together, y'all, yuns, or ye in the King James Version of the Bible. This is, this is one of the ways the King James Version is actually very helpful because when you see ye, it's not just an old-timey you, it's a plural you. And you can find the occasions when the Greek would have indicated a plural you when you read the King James Bible by looking for the yees, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not I, like, read whatever version you want. I'm not saying, I don't read the King James Version unless I'm, studying it for that particular reason. But the central metaphor for the Christian church in the New Testament is that of a body. The body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. You all, plural, are the body of Christ. There's many instances where this is articulated in the New Testament. I'm going to read one of them to you now. This is from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. All right, I need to pause here for just a second. I hate the way the NRSV translates this concept. I'm not smarter than the PhD eggheads who did it. I'm just saying that I'm right about this and they're wrong. <laughs> what does the word member communicate to you in the context of church? Membership, right? It's like you're part of a club. You joined a gym. You became the member of a team. All of that stuff is fine. We have membership at Artisan, but that is not what this is talking about. This word, member, is this, is the, it's, 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 it's a body part. 
right? Now, I understand for various reasons. It might not be polite to use the word member when talking about body parts in church. You're all thinking of the same thing, which is the word dismemberment, right? When you are dismembered, what is happening? You are being ripped apart. Set, what, what are you guys, what are you laughing about? <laughs> when you are dismembered, you are ripped apart from the rest of the body, right? That's what this means. And it is not communicated very well, in my view, when we read this text, because we think, of course the church has many members. I've been a member since 2019. I just became a member last year. So-and-so has been a member since the first year. That is not what we're talking about at all right now. Let me go on, and I'm going to substitute in the word parts. For as in one body, we have many parts. Not all the body parts have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are individually we are parts of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. What it's saying is that everybody is different, but we are all part of the same body. And if we could learn to think about the gospel, which is to say the good news of Jesus Christ in a plural way, as opposed to a singular or individual way, I think we might be on the road. We might have taken the first step toward de-centering ourselves in the universe. Right? This is very deep, heavy spiritual work, realizing that you are not the center of the universe. And by the way, I believe from my limited understanding that that concept is uh, practiced and articulated in other world religions as well. But in the Christian faith, we have this unique gift of thinking about ourselves as the body of Christ, that the church, the people who worship God in this tradition, comprise the body of Christ. And so none of us is the center of anything, except that all of us are the center of God's love in the body of Christ. If we could get our minds right with that, we might begin to see that the good news of Jesus Christ is not about saving any one individual soul for all eternity, although I do think you get that in the bargain. But rather, it's about saving a people. It's about redeeming a community. It's about God's infinite love for each human being and indeed for all of God's creation, human and otherwise. And if we can get to that place of mind transformation, which is exactly what repentance means, by the way, in the literal uh, translation of that word, it's a changing of the mind, it's a transformation of our way of thinking. If we can get our minds transformed in that direction, then our individual salvation, which we should all treasure and maybe all did and do, would begin to mean even more. Because it would not just mean that I am saved. It would mean that I have become a participant in the huge, expansive work of God, redeeming everything and everyone. And listen, I understand. There, there are probably people who hear me talk this way and they think, oh boy, that pastor's gone off the edge. He's a universalist. That's a watered-down version of the gospel. 
That's too easy. That preacher's letting people off the hook for their own sin. My response to that is, I don't think you've thought very hard about how hard it is to love all people. Because I know some people who are exceedingly unlovable. And the gospel calls me to love them anyway. And not just to love them in a way that says, it's okay that you are here. (laughs) Or, it's fine that you exist. Or, God loves you despite your many and obvious flaws. But actually says to them, you are part of me. And I am part of you. And I would not have chosen it to be that way. But because God loved me and invited me, I love you and invite you. And if we are going to expect people who are in certain ways intolerant and unpleasant to love and accept every one of us in our midst, I think we ought to be willing to love and accept and even embrace them too. Now, here's what I'm not asking anybody to do, and I will never do it. I'm not asking anybody to put themselves in a position to be further harmed by people who have harmed them. Because that is something that happens. Happens in the church, happens in the world. I'm not asking you uh, to stay with an abuser. I'm not asking you to put yourself in the line of the fire of bigotry more than is healthy for you. (laughs) What I am asking you to do, because I'm asking it of myself and of each person in the room and in our community at all, is not to use that safety valve, which I'm offering to anyone who needs it, not to apply that in other areas, not to make it an excuse to refuse to engage with people who are only... (laughs) difficult or irritating or sometimes hurtful. There's this other passage in the New Testament that goes on and on about this body metaphor and it says things like, the eye cannot say to the ear, I have no need of you. The hand cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. Because every part is needed in the body. You know, if I could vamp on this body metaphor for a minute, do a little uh, religious appropriation and do a midrash with it, which is a Jewish tradition, I might think about how our understanding of bodies has changed in some ways for the better. We have a long, long, long way to go, but we're a little better than we were this time ten years ago at acknowledging that all bodies are good, that, that the things that we might not like about our body are not moral failings and they're not um, unredeemable, irredeemable flaws. They're not inherently bad, right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Others of you are like, what is that even about? We're doing better with accepting um, body characteristics and loving our own bodies and accepting other people different body types and shapes and so forth. 
And I wonder if we could apply that to this body of Christ metaphor in the church, right? Maybe, maybe somebody who's part of the community is the, is the body part that you wish would change or just be gone or never have had in the first place. Being in Christian community with one another means that we are often going to be in the room with people who we wish weren't there. And if that's not true, we might not, we not be, we might not be quite as open and affirming as we wish we were. This, by the way, is one of the reasons that we do so many things at Artisan that are quote-unquote just about building friendships and relationships, right? The reason that we do so many activities at Artisan that are just about building friendships and relationships is that there's no such thing, right? If anything is spiritual, everything is spiritual. That's my motto. And when we build relationships with each other around the fire pit, where we're just talking about whatever, and we do that in the context of a Christian community, we are building spiritual community as we do that. This is the reason why we have Cider Days and we don't have a big altar call at the end of it. It's the reason why we have Fire Pit Fridays and we don't require a Bible study, right? Because we need friends in our life. You, plural, right? Y'all, ye, need friends in your life who will build you up in your faith and they need you too. And that's true even if you think you're so weak in the faith that you couldn't possibly help anybody else. The weakest and wobbliest form of faith is the most helpful to someone else, way more often than you might think. But here's the other part. You, plural, therefore including me, so I'll just say we, need to build friendships and relationships with people who we might not let into our life otherwise. And it's way easier to do that around a fire pit so that's why we do so many of those things. I want to wrap up my time here talking about community by asking you to sit quietly, and I'm going to give you some questions to ponder for yourself. So every head bowed, every eye closed. <laughs> You're going to do some business with the Holy Spirit now. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I want you to think about this body. You might think of Artisan Church specifically. You might think of the church globally. You might expand it beyond the walls of religion into the city of Rochester or the country or the entire human race. I, I truly believe that this concept, which is written to the Christian church, has wisdom for us as we think about being human. So whatever group you're thinking of right now, choose the one that's maybe the biggest you can imagine in this moment. And think first about which part are you, which body part are you in this big body? This is the spiritual community version of the, like, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream icebreaker? Or if you were a tropical fruit, which one would you be? <laughs> which body part are you in the body of Christ, in the, in the body of the human race? And now, which other parts of this body are the easiest for you to get along with? Which are the ones, who are the people, the types of people or the specific people that you go to when there's an awkward social moment or when you are in need or 
whenever there's some kind of call to community, who do you go to first? You might look around you and see them in this room. They might be in the Zoom chat. They might be somebody who's not part of this community at all right now. Who's easiest for you to get along with? And you know my next question, don't you? Who are the people, the types of people or the specific people who are the hardest for you to get along with? Maybe think about why that is. Very often I find that that's more about me than about them. And now, as you think of those difficult people, those people who you kind of wish, you kind of wish they weren't part of the same body as you. It would be really nice. It's fine if they could be part of a body, but if it could be a different body, that would be really great. As you think of those people, can you get to the point of not just accepting and welcoming them, but of embracing them, of loving the fact that they are part of the same body as you. Can you do that on your own, or would it take an actual miracle? I think sometimes it takes an actual miracle. But I also believe that we have miracles. And now, my sincere pastoral prayer for you, which will sound like sarcasm, but I promise it's not. Well, it's usually 1% sarcasm with me at least. But this is my sincere pastoral prayer for you. I hope and pray that you have been forever ruined for reading the Bible with a singular you pronoun again. I hope that the next time you're reading your New Testament and you read something in the Bible that says you, I hope that you will think back to this moment and go, ah, because you realize that it's a plural you, most likely. And that even if it's grammatically a singular you, there's going to be a plural application you could and possibly should make. May it be true that the Spirit would speak to each one of you, ruining you for the singular you for the rest of your Bible reading days. Amen. (laughs) For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.